Hello and welcome to another episode of Ask an Atheist Anything. Andrew and Matthew, as usual, are, are your hosts and we're joined once again by Doug. Now, those who've listened to our podcast will remember that uh, Doug joined us for our Monster Ask an Atheist Anything Day episode special. Uh, at time of this recording, only two of the episodes have gone live onto our feed, but episode three is going to be up shortly, but you'll have already heard it by the time you're listening to this. Now, the reason for this particular show, this show, I should say at first, we're, we're answering the question of, are moral values subjective or objective? Because this came out of one of the questions that we did for our Wants to Ask an Atheist Day special. And we had quite a bit of fun on that. And if you'll remember from that show, uh, Doug had written an encyclopedia of notes uh, for this. So we promised that we will drag him back on to do that. So this is that episode. So welcome once again, Doug. Thank you very much for having me. I'm, uh, it's a pleasure to be on. And say hello to our listeners, Andrew. We, we need to acknowledge you as well. Uh, we hello, to. kids, and hello, kids, and welcome back. And Doug specifically asked me before we got started on Mike today to not have another four-hour episode. So, <laughs> That's <where we're> it's, <laughs> yes, it's, it's not. I've, I'm under the same instruction as well. <laughs> to be honest, I haven't got enough fluid next to me for That's a right. four-hour episode. Can't do it. Can't do it. It's too much. I don't know how I had the stamina last time. <laughs> I um, I've heard I've heard people ask that question of you. Where, how did, how, where, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay. Sorry, yes, we just lost right. our PG and rating. Yes, I, I right. Yeah, right. Yeah, and right off the bat. This is why Andrew uses Max, her ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> she can't be trusted with anything responsible. <laughs> Woo! That's not the USB port. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, case case proved and is already. <laughs> oh my word! You're taking this far too seriously. <laughs> so, okay, um, yeah, with that PG rating solidly out of the way now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my cat mewing sound effect is going to get worn out. I'm going to have to find a new one. <laughs> um, okay. I'm just curious. How do you know what the cat mewing effect sounds like when it's worn out? I just <laughs> okay. I'm okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm speechless on that one. <laughs> We're gonna have to cut. It's gonna be a lot of editing in there. A lot of editing. And that's why we had the four-hour recording session last time. We had to cut Andrew's jokes out. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm seriousing up right now. <laughs> I'm, ser I'm seriousing up and uh, we are going to discuss subjective versus objective morality or ethics. And I honestly don't know at the time of this recording which one I am. I, I knew which one I was when we did the Ask an Atheist Day special. Doug made me reconsider this thing. Earlier today, just today, I was going to defend objective ethics. And now I He keeps swinging all over the place. You're dropping in and out, mate. I can't tell whether you're subjective or objective. I'm a true switch hitting over here in Augusta, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
<laughs> I think we're not oh. live. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, to, you know, it's a good thing this isn't a YouTube video, right? Who, who knows what that is. <laughs> oh, <my laughs> just, just wait for the show notes, kids. Just, just <laughs> there'll, there'll be huge gaps between the words and the sentences. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, complete with pictures and diagrams, right? <laughs> okay. Okay. So, is the sound as my sound dropping in and out as well as a as a technical question? Am I losing internet connectivity, or are you you guys able to hear me? Okay. Mostly, but you've had, a, you've had a couple of sections where you've you've just gone silent. Uh, that's not a complaint. It's just an observation. Section <laughs> 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 improvement. <laughs> wow! Wow! Okay. Doug, you gave us a good introduction to and, and a dispensation. That's probably not the right word of uh, the difference between subjective and objective moral uh, values uh, on our last episode when we recorded that. Do you want to just do a recap on that, and we'll we'll pick up from there? Sure. So the question um, that we um, need to resolve with morality and often comes up, particularly with uh, religious folk, is are moral values something that are objective? In other words, are they something that are true or real or actual apart from, from us? Or are they subjective? Are they um, just in accordance with our desires, in accordance with what we deem in our minds to be good and so which which one is it is it something that's subjective and we just i don't know if we vote or it's something that basically is different for me and different for you or is it something that is objective and doesn't depend on my mind or your mind okay now when you say it's something that doesn't depend on on our minds where where does that inf where does the information come from that creates the value in other words, it would be something like that is true whether or not I think about it or not, whether or not what, whatever opinion I have on it, it's, it's going to be good or bad, independent of whether what I think about it. Um, so that's the question. It's the question that we have to answer. Is that the case um, that it is that within um, our human um, societies, for example, that that is uh, a true statement, or is that something that is completely, uh, entirely dependent on what we feel about or how we think about it, what okay. we assume it to be? So if I was to pick an example, say, for example, in the wild, sometimes animals building nests will be lazy and one animal will steal good quality material from another animal's nest because it's easier for it to do that than it is to go and find its own good quality material. Yes. Um, so that has a negative impact on the other animal that's having its nest structure destroyed because the bits of it are being stolen. Right. And now, regardless of how we might feel about that, the impact uh, on the victim in that uh, situation is going to be the same. Is that the kind of thing that you're saying? So in that situation, for the, the, the argument or the discussion would be for those birds or the fish do the same thing with regard to shells where they, there's a certain fish that, that, that uh, amasses, the male amasses a lot of shells. And the more shells, the more, um, the more places for the female uh, fish to put their uh, eggs. 
um, and they'll steal it. Same thing, steal the other person's shells who is working really hard. And so the question that needs to be asked, is that wrong? Is that bad uh, for the one that's, that's not doing the work? And so that, that's the question. And so what, what needs to be discussed is, is this applicable to all organisms or is this just applicable to humans? Or is it a, and this is where like Peter Singer comes into play where he talks about, uh, he invents the term speciesism. And so he says, uh, enlarges the circle like uh, Steven Pinker's uh, enlarging circle. Do we include more and more organisms or is this just uh, for humans? Uh, and so that's part of the discussion um, that we need to talk about, um, whether it, it applies to the whole animal kingdom uh, and whether it's something that like mathematical principles is something we discover or is it something that's part of the fabric of human or social relationships or, or for example, high order primates or mammals or that type of thing. So that's so part you... of the discussion. So right there, you touched on something that I think is a really interesting difference between ethics and, uh, and, and mathematics. So when we think of a, of a mathematical axiom, and here's why I've largely been a subjectivist. Is there a reasonable comparison between ethics and mathematics? So one of the very fundamental questions of, uh, of math uh, has to do with mathematical axioms. So uh, when we want to prove a, a rule of addition uh, of division, for instance, we, we would prove it with something like two times two divided by two equals two, right? So two times two equals four divided by two equals two, right? And th that would get us close to a sort of rudimentary proof of both multiplication and division, right? But when we think about, when we think about ethics, it is a lot more difficult to come up with rules in ethics that are axiomatic, like axioms in math, right? Because we don't, in my view, seem to have very clear operators and operands in ethics. So what is the thing for us that is, what are the things for us that are axiomatic in ethics? Is it human thriving? Is it obedience to some ethical system? And whatever the axioms we think, whatever we think they are, how do they interact together to prove themselves to be objective in the same way that we think about axioms in algebra or proofs in geometry or whatever? That's a good point. And that, that I think that therein lies the difficulty is I think there are some parallels but I don't think they're of the same species or, or, or category. Is there's a uh, there's parallel? There are parallels. Parallels, I believe, that can be demonstrated, but uh, that it's not the same type of. There are, there are not proofs proofs like in mathematics. Right, and so when we attempt to come up with an objective ethics. And I'm not saying that we can't. Maybe, maybe we can even in this episode, right? But when we do, is it possible to be as rigorous about the claim of an objective ethic as it is to be rigorous about the, the claim of some objective axiom? Maybe we can get there, but this, is, this has been my problem in re-exploring mm. the claim of objective ethics over the last couple of weeks. And I was, I was almost convinced even mm -hmm. earlier today. 
And this was the question that came that came to my mind uh, again. So, Doug, you're you're uh, a mathematician in your job at some level, right? You're you're a mechanical engineer. You use math every day. Matthew and I are both computer people. Uh, Matthew is a database developer and administrator. Uh, I write computer programs. We all deal with math at some level, and it requires a kind of rigor that just doesn't seem to be available when we make ethical decisions, or at least if it is, it hasn't been apparent to me. And I would, I would agree with that. And I would say, I think we can get close, but I don't think, like I said, I don't think it's the same category. There's something about math that seems to be very different from nearly everything else that we encounter. And particularly in the category of, of those things that are concepts or ideas. Math mm -hmm. is not like the, this apple in front of me, for example. Physical items are, and we'll talk about that today, I hope, are something that, that we can all talk about independently. We can look at, we can touch, we can say, okay, that apple looks like this, shaped like that. And we can apprehend that it's independent from our mind and we can analyze it and talk about it. Um, concepts are similar, M math is similar, Ideas are similar, but but I think there is even a different category between, for example, the the ideas of beauty, justice, those type of things. There, uh, we, we'll talk about we should talk about the fact that they are real, but they aren't real in the same sense, in the same way that the apple is real. They're different, and even with math, there's a difference between the idea of justice and the idea of two plus two uh, equals. Mm -hmm. So in this conversation of in uh, bringing um, mass into the equation. Are we talking about just the action or are we broadening the scope to uh, beyond that? Because for me, I don't think it's possible to separate the action from the consequences. And uh, to me, the consequences are a very important factor in determining the, the morality of, of the action. A bird or a fish finding a shell or a stick on the ground that it wants to use its nest is one thing. If that thing that it's picked up is actually part of the structure of uh, another animal's nest that it's in the it's that it's currently building and is away and the 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 stealer knows that information has specifically targeted it that is different from it just happening across something a nest that was abandoned years ago and it's just picking it up because it's convenient there the action cool. might be the same but the consequences of the action are quite different right yeah that's a good point and i and i think that idea particularly when we extend it to other species that's what makes it difficult um, and maybe at the end we can do some thought experiments with that because I was thinking the same thing with like ants or with you know just trying to go to the, to the smallest level and look at it and see okay can we imagine where that is subjective or objective uh, morally for that organism and I would argue that for fish or for birds uh, that it's not uh, and um I don't really necessarily have a, a basis for that, why it wouldn't be for them, other than I think that, that morality has both a subjective and an objective aspect, but those terms are defined differently, objective and subjective, uh, in those cases. And so I, I would argue that there's a way to, to use the word objective that makes sense in a human concept uh, that we could all agree with to say that we can all agree that something is good or bad morally. And I think that's 
that's really why the reason there's a reason for thinking that moral values are objective. And uh, so maybe maybe we can talk about that. Yeah, I just I, I just love what you've just said because we we possibly got a point of disagreement here because to go back to the example that I've mentioned several times, if a bird goes to another bird's nest that is an active nest that the bird is currently building but it's vacated it to go and look for stuff and the bird sees something that it really wants and takes it back to its nest to carry on and it's it, it's stolen there there is a word we use for that and it's stolen and yeah. we generally accept that as being an immoral action yes. i would say that that is no different to me seeing my neighbor over the road has got a better tv than me so i decide i'm going to go into the house and take that tv because i want it for myself it's still stealing something from someone else that someone else has worked hard for, but I fancy it. And I would say that I am just as immoral in doing that as the bird was. And so I think that's maybe where I talk about is that are we imposing uh, what is in our structure as a human society uh, with other humans? Uh, and we can't not talk about the brain, the mind, and, and what we... Um, those concepts and those structures that we've created in our minds that we would probably a moral subjectivist would would say okay that see that's proof right there subjective that we're imposing that on other organisms that don't have those same structures um oh, and, okay and, yeah yeah that's that's a good thing i think i would my my response to that would be i can recognize in the example with the birds that the bird coming back to its nest to find something is missing is not going to be happy about that uh, and you know, will possibly be upset. Will certainly look around, saying, "Where's my, where's my stick gone?" Might even, when spotted, it go and remonstrate with the uh, with the offender. And we see that kind of behaviour with with other animals. Chimpanzees is probably a good example where we see that kind of fairness behaviour and reaction. And there's probably other animals that we could see something similar on as well. So the the victim in in that dealing has recognised that they've been wronged to use a human word and behaves accordingly so my calling that an immoral action isn't necessarily based on what i saw it's also based on sorry it's not necessarily based on me witnessing the action it's also based on me witnessing the response or the consequences of that action right and, and i would argue that fish and birds for example don't actually seem to express what we would term as anger. And so this is, this, this is a, in primatology, for example, there's a debate on whether, you know, when they study primates, on whether they should use the term friend, uh, for example, friendship, or whether they should use the word, uh, he got angry. Um, and, and so uh, the actual trend in primatology is changing to where they're, they will more freely in the research and the papers and the journals use those terms for uh, primates, and sometimes they'll use it, but they won't use it in journal articles for fish, for example, or for birds. Uh, and and the trend, the trend is just changing with pri with primates. And so, um, to use the, the the terms we would use for humans for emotions, uh, those type of things. And so, th that's something to talk about too. Is it, within the animal kingdom, is is the research that they, uh, the, the, the journal articles, are they allowed to use the same type of, of concepts that we use for human relationships and human interaction for animals? And, and I would argue that there is a difference and that you, you will see with, uh, with the studies that, uh, and the research that Franz Duval does, for example, with capuchin monkeys, 
don't know if you've seen those uh, uh, videos. Yes, where, I have the fairness video where they give one one fruit yeah. and the other one. Yes, yes, I have seen that. And fascinating. So, right, and and it actually they've now found that it's not. He's they're not a, a angry. The actual emotion, and we'd say they do have uh, emotions. Um, that that they're um, it's not really injustice. It's more um, because it, it's it's the unfairness, which I guess maybe could say the same thing. They're not angry at the. Uh, they're more angry at the uh, at the person because the person giving it because they're giving it to one and they could have the other and they see that they could have it. Um, They've recognized an inconsistency in behavior yeah, right. and they're throwing a strop as a result. Right. Right. Somewhere, somewhere in this idea of, of fairness and justice that humans recognize versus uh, that that, and, and we call them lower order primates uh, occasionally, right? We think uh, like the monkeys. There is a lack of depth of abstraction. We, we experience the world uh, perhaps in a deeper way, or at least we think we do than monkeys do, right? We can, we can consider the notion of fairness uh, in a much more abstract way, seemingly, than, than the monkeys can. So they will act on individual notions or, or individual instances of unfairness, right? You give, one a, you give one a piece of fruit and you don't give it to the other. And, and so they will act on those perceived moments of unfairness. Mm -hmm. But what they have failed to do yet is to create a deep society based on the abstract notion of unfairness to to write laws or or uh, to enact community rules that that do more to ban unfairness than to just react uh, you know to the to the individual incident and so i still so i think it's probably fair to use terms like uh, like friendship or justice or unfairness, with the caveat that we seem to think about these things beyond the the single instance of unfairness when it happens to be happening directly to us or you know to to a group that we happen to be in. Yeah, and I would I would say that's that's arguably because we have not just larger brains but more more connections, and so that that. Uh, we we have that capacity, um, but it's nascent in there. In as we can see in primates, and even in in rats, for example, you know that they they help each other and they uh, they do things that we would use the term you know um, altruism maybe you know um, sure, sure. for animals. They do form collectives, communities, uh, small social groups and families, even tribes, and 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 so as the brain becomes more aware. If that if that's fair, we seem to spend more time contemplating those you know these kinds of ideas, uh, yes. more abstract ideas, uh, or at least that that's my observation. Whether you know whether, yeah. Whether, yeah. Uh, so. and and I, and I would argue that it's more than just an illusion uh, that's created in our minds. Um, uh, you, you know, it does become difficult when we talk about other organisms. Uh, we talked about the birds and the fish uh, because it looks so much like ours, and we ha we can't help but not look at it uh, in the same way we look at our human relationships, for example, mm. in our interactions. And so it, it almost, it's almost impossible for us to, to look at it and say, well, within their context, th there, there is no right and wrong. 
but within ours, there is. And, and I think that's what I'd argue is that, that there's an intuition that we have, an impulse or a sentiment or a, a feeling. And that this is where a Christian will say, well, see, that's the proof that you have the law written and law of God written on your heart. And that uh, that's something that comes from outside yourself. And, and they would trace it back to the God. And, and I think we can just as easily trace that intuition ba back to what has been programmed into us by evolution. Mm. And I, from that, I think we can make the argument that, that there is an objectiveness to it because it just, to me, it seems, I would just argue that it seems or feels wrong and incorrect that might makes right, for example, or that we just vote or that uh, if Nazi Germany, if everybody agreed that that was moral to, to, uh, kill, uh, put people in, in gas chambers and kill them because th they uh, are a different race and that would be okay for that, that society, I have a problem with that. I, I can't, uh, there's something that just feels wrong about that. And so maybe that's not a good reason, but I, 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 can't, I can't imagine a society that's built on, well, this is just what this society has decided and it's good. Um, and I would argue that there's a way to get to close to objective if we make sure we agree on what we mean by objective as opposed to subjective in that context. Right. So for me, there's a real question about the instincts that we have. Right. So we have the instinct to eat, to sleep. We have uh, fight or flight instincts. Uh, we have the instinct to reproduce. And we understand those instincts relatively poorly. It took us hundreds of thousands of years to develop a language where we were even uh, sort of good at describing our instincts, right? Uh, our instinctual reaction. And we're still fighting with uh, notions of, of how to talk about human reproductive instinct, right? Because um, for tens of thousands of years, homosexuals have been demonized, right? Mm -hmm. But that yeah. seemed, and, and so, but make no mistake about it, listeners and, and, feel free to argue back with me in email or uh, we'll, we'll give some other ways to get in touch. But, but that is an instinct. And what I think you just described, Doug, is something that is equally hard to talk about instinctually. And, and so it, it seems to come from outside of us because we have a, a, only a rudimentary vocabulary for talking about the instinct towards sociability. But I think that maybe what you've said is that our instinct toward sociability, uh, toward, toward fairness and, and uh, building communities and, and responding in a, in a pretty instinctual way in our family groups, that sort of thing, that really is a thing that is baked in at the evolutionary level because as far as we know, feelings and emotions evolved along with us. And it makes sense that that's exactly what they would do. Um, but to rewind slightly, you mentioned about you mentioned Christianity and uh, objective moral values uh, earlier, Doug. How do we? And so, so to bring that in, when a Christian says uh, moral values are objective, they they tend to mean specifically the Christian God has implanted. Mm -hmm or projected, whatever language you want to use, those values onto us. We haven't grown with those values. We haven't developed those values. We haven't matured into those values. Those values have been set into us. And they would say that whether it's in our DNA or whether it's in our 
brain chemicals or whether it's something else however it is they're saying that the christian god has has put it there is there a way that we can differentiate between values being put onto us like that and values that have evolved with us or is it so muddy that we probably couldn't well i mean the 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 issue becomes or the problem becomes clear when you ask a christian okay tell me what those are and how do we identify them and so uh, you, you you see that a lot on unbelievable is where they um you really can't when you start getting to the nitty-gritty you can't get to it it's just the argument is it's just there and, and I would say, and I would say it's not, it's not even grown up with us, even if you take it from a, a completely atheistic standpoint. Um, the research they're doing on children and on primates, for example, is demonstrating that it's there from the, big, from the very birth of the organism. So whether it's, and, and there's also enculturation in addition to that, but there, there are certain impulses or certain intuitions that are there from the very get-go. And so whether you can differentiate them or not, or, or say, okay, well, this is the difference between what it would look like if it was some sort of God or imposed on us from the outside, or whether, I don't think you can figure out where the source is. All that we know, and we can agree on whether you're Christian or not, or atheist, is that there, the research shows that it, it is innate. And but it doesn't say where it came from. So the Christian would say, well, it's implanted on your soul or whatever. You come in written with it on your heart, and uh, everybody just knows deep down. And I would argue that we just know from uh, our programming from evolution, and we, f- we find out within our given culture, I'll say, because even primates have culture, even, even uh, um, you know, dogs have culture, they pass on things. They teach each other things. Uh, there's animals that have tool use, and they have to learn it. It's not just innate. Uh, it's the same way with behavior. And I, w- I would say that that you really can't tell the difference um, just by looking at the behavior. Um, but I, I would say you could just as easily say it comes from our evolution, uh, and it's whether it's in our DNA or, or what or where it is, um, or just in, in our brain or how that works. You you wouldn't be able to demonstrate like a Christian couldn't say well you know could prove well it's in my soul well where's your soul you know I, I don't think we can actually we probably don't have certain genes that do it I don't know maybe we do I I, I don't know and that's a that's a good point there actually and I would like to reiterate if you're going to say as a as a Christian our values are put there by the Christian God. Then yeah, my I would want to know well how how does that happen? Can can we have a mechanism for how that would work? And can we can we have the God demonstrated that would do that? Because it's all well and good making the claim, but you've got neither the source proven and you haven't got the mechanism demonstrated. So you've got the two key things that would be a convincer completely lacking. Whereas at least yeah. where with the evolutionary description, you know, we've got the mechanism evolution and it didn't necessarily come from a producer you know it is a a natural feature of animals that procreates and produce offspring and then the dna mixes so there it is all in that package we we've got uh, evolution and the mechanism so why should the christian god as an option be considered more viable 
yeah. I, I don't I don't see it. I would agree. It's not it's not superior because there is there is no explanation. I mean, at least with with the evolutionary model, you can look at it and see. Okay, with the social or, uh, organisms, uh, this is how it works, and it makes sense. And it makes sense that we pass that on because that we need to uh, interact uh, with uh, for social creatures. Uh, we need to interact in order to survive uh, that type of thing. And you really, especially when you start talking about the Old Testament and you talk about the genocide and the things that were commanded by God, you really get into sticky sticky uh, sticky water or, or deep waters. Uh, with those type of arguments, and I, it doesn't look pretty. I haven't the discussions that I've seen on Unbelievable um, about that don't look pretty from the Christian standpoint. No, I'm I'm not convinced Hello. by them. Yeah. Hello, are you there, Andrew? I, I am. A while back, uh, almost at the beginning of, of Ask an Atheist Anything. In fact, this might have been our our second or third show, uh, Matthew. You might recall which uh, better than I do. But we did a show on the evolution of human language. Right. And uh, and we yeah, talked episode about two. it was the first one we recorded together. All right. Uh, episode two. So what we what I think was very clear in the, the glossing of that episode is that the human brain is responsible for uh, language. I'll carry that over to say that as far as I so I, I continue to read and, and have continued to read since that episode about what the brain does for us. And part of my reading recently was a, was a discussion about uh, the human ego. And we actually have a, a center in the brain that is, that is responsible for moderating overly egocentric response that, that moderates our selfishness, if you will. And we know that it does because when we manipulate that center of the brain, when we when we switch it off chemically or or when it is damaged due to some brain insult or disease, people act more egocentrically, more more self-centered. And and what we would see there then, what we, what we would say uh, in in a lot of cases is that those people are uh, misbehaving, right? They're they're not behaving in response to a, a sort of established moral code that we all try to abide by, like you said, Matthew, not stealing your neighbor's nicer TV, right? And, and so while I can understand why the Christian would say that these laws are, are sort of written on our hearts, right? I think, I think that our current research is much more clear that even if we can't identify the exact gene that is responsible for uh, switching on and off uh, some behavior, right? We are getting closer to that through understanding that there are actually brain structures that are responsible for egocentric response. There are brain structures that are responsible for altruism. Uh, and, and this is why we as uh, humanists try to establish a culture that uh, that is harmful to the fewest number of people, right? So a greater number of us are, are raised well uh, to, to not mistreat other people because this is just brain training as far as I can see. Yeah. There's um, another thing I want to throw, throw in here, and that is um, behavioral override. To go back to the, the stealing uh, the things example i suspect mm. we might come back to this several times if i go to my neighbor's house to steal 
their TV. I recognise that that is a wrong, immoral action because I wouldn't want it to happen to me. So I recognise that. We'll ignore for a moment that there's a, a law on this land that forbidding that and a, and a structural punishment for that. We'll, we'll, let's just lay that to the side for a moment. But, so I recognise that that action is wrong and I would be unhappy if it happened to me and I would seek some form of retribution for that if it happened uh, to me. And if I was to do that to my neighbour, I would go out of my way to, to be unseen while doing it. I would do my best to make sure that when I did that, nobody witnessed me doing it. Um, and we've done something, and I'm fairly sure that with certain animals, a similar thing has been done. It might even be penguins or something like that. I'm guessing now from a documentary that I've seen. So if, I've, if, I've, if I'm misspeaking, someone call me out on it, please. Um, but I'm fairly sure that we've seen other animals which are doing this whole nest stealing thing and the animal doing the stealing, the individual doing the stealing has also done a kind of I'm nonchalant or so like back, back to the victim so that it's not obvious what they're doing so that they can do the deed unspotted at the, as soon as they've got an opportunity. Now, surely that is that animal recognized that they're doing something wrong, doing something immoral because they wouldn't like the same thing doing to them. Um, uh, so, I'm not sure. I'm okay. Sure. Okay. Well, there's two questions here. So maybe animals don't express that. I'm at the moment proposing that they do. But the the bigger point that I'm trying to drive to on this is, if me as a, as an individual or, or anyone as an individual, let's just pick person X as an individual, knows that it's immoral to steal because they wouldn't like it done to them, but they still go and steal from others. They're overriding. Their, uh, their own recognition of what is an immoral behaviour. So where does that fit into the discussion other, of what's moral and immoral? So, well, to just talk about the, the examples we're using with a fish or with the birds, for example, they, they don't actually, and this is pretty, pretty solid uh, for, for at least those two organisms, uh, um, they do not have a self-awareness. They don't. They're. They don't have uh, the same level. Um, for example, like a dog or even a dog or a cat. They, they seem to. Um, they can't. They. They're even. Uh, they're more, but they're even less than a than a primate, for example, or a dolphin that can recognize uh, itself and is, is able to. Uh, those organisms actually aren't capable of extrapolating like that and for to be able to realize that other organism is like me um, and therefore should be treated like I'm treated. So, so I don't think I don't think we can actually make that's why I don't think we can make the same argument. We we look at them and we make the same value judgments on them and say, well, if it's okay for this, it's okay for humans. And I think it's because there is some point in in, in evolution and w within certain organisms that it becomes wrong and i think you actually uh, uh matthew i think, I think you addressed it it's you realize that you wouldn't want that done to you and these organisms don't even realize that their things are being stolen from them so the fish uh, that i saw in in one of the uh blue planet i think it was uh, um uh, didn't even 
register. It didn't look like the the the, the fish even knew um, that 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 was happening. He just kept working. Um, and the other one that was getting stolen from. Now that the one that was stealing, um, he he likely it appeared, and this is again we're looking at and evaluating with our value judgments and with what we would uh, see in our in our own societies, uh, and say, hey, that's wrong. Um, th- it didn't appear as if he was uh, uh, aware, but it's hard to say. You can't. That's the problem is with the uh, fish. You can't ask them. You can't do. You can't hook them up to a lie detector and that type of thing. So I think it makes. <laughs> all but, we can do is evaluate we, behavior, you know. Right, but aren't we really saying there that very often humans that misbehave don't have the the same physical equipment that we have? One of the one of the big pushes in modern psychology is to understand the physiological system responsible for uh, things like sociopathy or borderline personality disorder or uh, certain types of of phobias, right? Now, some of those things are trained into us, maybe through bad experiences, right? So you may have a a phobia of water uh, because you had a bad experience on a boat as a kid, right? You weren't a particularly good swimmer and uh, it was pretty dangerous and you were fighting for your life and it took them a while to rescue you. Right, and you, you, you might have a phobia about water, um, but in some cases, uh, one that comes to mind is the uh, serial killer Richard Ramirez. His mother was a, a factory worker exposed to a huge number of caustic chemicals uh, before he was born, and there's some real question about whether that played a part in his brain development uh, while he was in her womb. Right. And they lived in a, in a region of the country where he wha- had some continuing exposure as a kid. And uh, and so he's the guy that uh, has been the, he's the night stalker. If, if listeners are interested and want to uh, to read the biography about his life. So there's a there's a real push. And and some real symmetry between our bad acts and bad biology. Now, fish don't have bad biology, but they don't have the same biology. In some sense, they're just not geared to understand ethics in the way we are. And and I think the same is true, maybe not for every criminal. I'm, and this is not me saying that uh, you can just let them off, right, because uh, their brains didn't develop, right? That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that the part of the reason the three of us can agree Uh, so broadly on this show is because we did have the opportunity uh, to have good education and and to be lucky enough to to have parents that created an environment where our brains developed within consistent norms. Oh, I love, yeah, you've you've thrown the whole brain chemistry in before I was expecting it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, no, no, no I'm, I'm not accusing you of jumping anywhere. It had to come up, come up at some point. I just wasn't prepared for it. That's all. Um, but I think that's really, really important in this discussion. You know, um, when talk, when saying, you know, where do these things come from? And you talk about evolution, and we we talk about our innate uh, ability to recognise that we would not like action X being done against us when we recognize it being done against someone else and we 
recognize the, the act of loss and things like that but some people have features of their brain chemistry we have all sorts of complicated names that we we call these things but they are features of their brain chemistry that means that they behave somewhere differently to what we would call normal if if that's a word i'm allowed to use in this context and so their, their behavior is different and we might recognize or the three of us might recognize theft as being something uh, that is immoral but someone with, whose brain chemistry is different might not recognize that and they might not recognize at all that going into somebody else's house and taking their tv because it's better than theirs and they fancy watching uh, the f latest episode of game of thrones on it is actually something that's beneficial to them and any negative consequences on someone else just doesn't feature now are they acting immorally if they can't recognize it and and in regard to sorry Doug, in regard to the idea of uh, punishment, right? So you, you were talking about the fact that they they don't respond normally. They might they might be uh, willing to steal. Um, some people, it is it is just the case that some people are not motivated by negative consequence, right? And we see uh, these sorts of acts long before people end up in prison or or sacrificing their life for something that we would see as trivial, right? We see. Uh, young children who just aren't terribly motivated uh, by negative consequences. My brother was one of those guys. Now, he's, he's a pretty good guy, right? But he doesn't have normal pain response. Uh, and he doesn't have the level of fear that other people experience in regard to crisis situations. As a result, uh, he became a, a, a U.S. Army Airborne Ranger, right? He just doesn't respond to crisis quite the same way I'm guessing the three of us would. Now, I, I, you know, uh, fortunately, none of us have, uh, are, are in a position where we're likely to have shots fired and graphs, right? But he responds differently to stressors and, and people that still respond differently to consequential action than, uh, you know, than the norm. And so, Matthew, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to side with you. <laughs> Use that word and then get in trouble, right? Uh, but, they, they respond abnormally. But, but I think in discussion and in both of you talking, we recognize that there is a norm. And we recognize that, for example, the, the man who, uh, I don't remember his name, who, who uh, left a note after he shot up everybody and said, please do a, uh, an autopsy because I think there's something wrong with me. And they found a tumor. Mm -hmm. You know, and this is the, this is one of the reasons why, for example, uh, Sam Harris says this tumor's all the way down, and it, so we're now getting into, the, into this whole idea of free will um, and that whole thing. Um, so, but we recognize that that that's a problem. That there's something abnormal. There's something that is not um, uh, that is not right about that person, um, and and so we can evaluate and that's that intuition that we talked about at the beginning of we can evaluate that okay this person is not behaving like a person who lives in human society should um and there's that word should so um maybe maybe we use throwing a lot of terms around uh like objective and, and subjective and good and bad and those type of things maybe we should talk about them and, and define them um, because I think that's one of the r big reasons why we talk past each other, particularly when an atheist interacting with a Christian is, but we, we don't ever agree 
um, on terminology. So while you guys talk about subjective and subject, uh, objective and subjective, I hope one of you can answer a question for me. And that is, with, so in a subjective moral environment, it is possible for us to reach just as high a degree of concurrence about a good act or a bad act, right? Not, not killing each other, not, not raping each other, not torturing small children, whatever, you know, what, whatever, the, whatever the big ideas are. Um, we reach, whether, whether we're subjectivists or objectivists, we appear to reach the same high degree of concurrency about whether we should or shouldn't do certain things. And so why does it matter? Why are we, why are we striving for an objective value set or, or demonstrating subjectivity? And now I'm not going to say anything for, for a little bit and just listen to you guys again. But I think that this reaches down to the heart of our motivations. And I'm hoping one of you can answer the question. Well, I'm going to jump straight on. Sorry, I want to jump straight onto that one because the reason why we're having the discussion is because there are people who think that uh, objective moral values mean there is a God. And that is very, very important to them. The... Uh, the the assertion that there is a god is very very important to these people so they will jump on things that they consider demonstrate that as an inconclusive fact and object and moral values being objective in the context of being put onto us by a god is really is a key stepping stone on that and i think if that religious motivation wasn't around I don't think this this conversation would be that important. Well, but when we go back to Nazi Germany, and I think this goes back to what we're saying considered normal uh, behavior. So I think what we're groping at, whether we're talking about the moral argument for God or not, is is how do we all agree? Because we've said that we we all pretty much can agree. Um, that certain things are wrong, and, and they all go back to because they violate a person's autonomy, uh, or because they harm, they bring harm. So there's these ideas of good and bad, harm and and uh, helping uh, those type of things. And I think we're trying to come up with something that's not just um, something I desire. It's good because I desire it. Uh, I think we're wanting to come up with something a little bit more solid then it's good because I feel like it's good or it's good because I said it's good. Or if you're a Christian, it's good because God said it was good. Um, you see what I'm saying? So I think we're trying to grope it. How do we, how do we establish some sort of structure that, that's more certain than just based on each individual's um, estimation of it? Uh, you get yeah, two good question. Cultures. You get two different cultures like Nazi Germany, and then what do you do with that, you know? Because they, and we know now that it wasn't everybody that was uh, on board with it. They were, there, there are a lot of studies and psychological studies that, that have been done showing that most nations and most humans would have, would have also pushed the button and, and killed the, the, uh, the Jews as well. Um, and so how do we, how do we have something that's, this is the objectiveness of it. How do we have something that's more than just, I, I, I feel like it's wrong and so therefore it's wrong. And if you come along and you say, well, I don't feel like it's wrong. 
And how do we, we need our arbiter. That's, that's the reason why I think that's the strength of uh, uh, the Christian thinks they have in the moral argument for God, which I would argue that, 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 that there's still no better able to come to an agreement on what is right and what is wrong, which is why I think I would want to try to press for some, some form of moral objectivism. Um, and maybe if you could permit me to read a quote. Um, is yeah, okay go for it. yeah okay. go for it. So this is from um, a, a paper. Um, actually, I think it's a book. Uh, or journal article, uh, Moral Development, New Directions for Child Development, a Socioanalytic Theory of Moral Development. Um, and so I'll just dive in. Moral relativism appears to be supported by anthropological evidence showing that values do indeed vary from culture to culture. Moral relativism also remains implicit in many contemporary social theories with behavioristic origins. Nevertheless, or nonetheless, sophisticated anthropologists have argued that extreme moral relativism is untenable for several reasons. First, the existence of cultural universals such as religion, language, family groups, incest taboos, prohibitions on gratuitous cruelty indica indicates that cultural institutions are neither arbitrary nor idiosyncratic. Second, the variations one observes in values across culture cultures are not random, rather they are predictable given the ecology and history of each culture. Finally, nearly everyone including moral relativists has intuitions about the wrongness of genocide, torture, and slavery, yet moral relativism provides no grounds for criticizing these practices. On the other hand, moral absolutism and moral, uh, relative moral absolutism suggests grounds in terms of which such practices can be criticized. And I, I think that that provides the drive for why we want to come up with some sort of objective morality. Um, so, I mean, this, this article talks about moral absolutism, uh, and that's a term we haven't talked about, but moral relativism. Uh, I, I don't really know moral absolutism, what, what he means by it. Um, I, I don't have the whole article in front of me, but um, what he says is moral absolutism assumes that by careful thought, one can discover timeless universal moral principles applicable to all mankind. So I think that that's what we're calling moral um, uh, moral objectivity or moral objectiveness. Um, so I think there's still a problem, though. Here, so yeah. Here's here's the here's the problem that still exists. So let me just let me ask it this way. Mm -hmm. Let's pretend that today, all three of us could find an objective answer to every moral question, and and not only could we find that, but we'd we'd ensconce it. In a uh, you know in in the ethical dictionary, accessible mm -hmm. from any uh, from any online device, right? So, so you've got a moral quandary, and there is absolutely an answer, no matter what the question is. So mm -hmm. this is the oracle of 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 ethical knowledge. Mm -hmm. Would we still have people doing things wrong? Yes, because people would override those things for in in terms of certain situations either through selfishness or somebody needs some money for their drug fix or something like that there would always always be i think a scenario where somebody would break that for one reason or another so uh, that's my conclusion to, oh sorry Doug, go ahead yeah i was just gonna say and i think matthew you're highlighting 
um, what um, um, Henry Sidgwick is the guy's name, and I, I learned about him through a podcast the other day with Peter Singer, um, where um, th this th he is not a well-known. He's not. Um, he's a utilitarian uh, and an objectivist, um, but basically because you have individuals operating within um, a, uh, a community or a society, you have this contradiction between uh, two ethical systems, uh, we'll call it objectivism or egoism and utilitarianism or altruism, um, mm. where one wants the good of the whole and the other one wants the good of the individual. And there are two ethical systems that have been propped up by, by uh, philosophers saying, okay, this one is the one that works and this one here is the one that works. And I think what you've highlighted is that that drive between, we'll call it selfishness, but my self-interest, what I want, uh, and the drive for wanting the good of the whole. And, and there are two drives and there are two intuitions that we have. Both of those are drives because we realize that if we cooperate and if we are uh, socially, um, uh, what's the term? I'm trying to think of the term. We um, have pro sociality, which I'm thinking of. Um, we know that that makes us happier and that makes us uh, thrive or flourish. We'll use those terms. Um, and, and so that's the rub, right? Is that we have individuals within society uh, and with. So we and we we all share those two intuitions, right? And so, how do you demonstrate what it's, which intuition is objectively right? <laughs> and that was where Henry Sidgwick said it was intractable, or you could not solve it. Um, which is the, the paper that and the the, the document that or the the book that Peter Singer has recently run. I don't have the title uh, in front of me, but. Uh, where they try to tackle this, um, because he was not uh, was not a moral objectivist and uh, is is sort of toying with that idea in this book, with the idea that that maybe that is more robust uh, to to go that way, um, and, and so um, the, the, it's I don't I think it's why we have the discussion. I don't think it's why it hasn't been put to bed. Is because um, we have both those drives. And um, like for Anne Rand, I'm sure you probably heard of Anne Rand. She she mm -hmm. came up with the, uh, the um, philosophy of objectivism, uh, also known as egoism, um, where us doing what is in our own self-interest and each individual doing that um, just works. Uh, and and what we're saying right now is it really doesn't. <laughs> it's because there are circumstances where it doesn't work. <laughs> Um, and that if we just seek our own self-interest, there are times where we need to do things, sacrifice self for the sake of others. Uh, for example, a, a soldier um, that we, um, and then there is my son, he's right now in Marine boot camp. And I don't get it. I don't understand it. Um, but I'm learning a lot about it. But he he's went in. I said, what do you want to do it? He said, because I, I want to defend our freedoms. And. So there's some drive within my son um, that that I under, I see, but I don't want to join the military. <laughs> but yeah, he does, you know. And uh, that was the reason he gave. And I don't know if he was just parroting what he heard or if that's you know. But the point being is that that uh, those are drives that seem you know that are 
altruistic or utilitarian uh, that we also have. Um, and that also uh, create a society wherein we are uh, more flourishing or more happy. Um, I'm, I was intrigued uh, by the phrase extreme relativism that, yeah. from, the, from the bit that, that you uh, read about. And I'm, I, I'd kind of like to know what, what, he, what he feels, what, what he's meaning by that, because while you're reading your piece, there are two experiments that I've heard about which, which jump straight to my mind, which I think quite effectively demonstrate that our behaviours and uh, our relationship between our ethics or moral values and our behaviours is very much relative. It's relative to circumstances, it's relative to the context, it's relative to our our situation uh, at the time, for example, a, a drug dealer needing a fix, you know, when they need a fix, they're far more likely to go out and break into someone's house to steal something of value they can sell to get the money for their fix there and then, you know, if they've got the drugs to hand, they're not going to, they don't have the need to go and steal because they're there. But anyway, the two experiments that uh, came to mind, and hopefully I'll be able to remember these well enough. One of them was a variation on the, um, the, the electric uh, shock test where someone is told to give deliver an electric shock um but they weren't doing it to someone they were instructed to give an electric shock told that it was to someone but it wasn't actually to someone yeah, it was it was a sound it was a sound effect in a room and they were told to dial up up the the value and hit the button they get a screaming noise from the room next door uh, when they press the button and eventually the sound would stop and they'd press the button and there'd be no noise back you know and sometimes the person who was um being told what to do would go have i killed them are, are they dead? and yet having been instructed to turn the dial up and press it again they still would uh obey the instruction even though you could see that um, they weren't really sure about what was going on and they had actually said have i killed them uh, and they would they would still do it. So you know, but these are people who wouldn't kill somebody. You know, these yeah. are what would to use the phrase normal people. You know, yeah. murder isn't something that they do. There's no pleasure in it, but they're still following instructions. And for a moment, at least for some of them, they're concerned that they have their actions, their obeying of these commands has resulted in the death of someone, and they still follow through with it. Right. Um, I yeah, those are the but, Stanley Mil Milgram experiments, is what they are, and they, they were testing to see whether Americans would do what the what the not the Nazi Germany would do. And, and so, it's surprising, yeah, yeah. And, so. and the the other experiment it, it goes the other way. It was um, somebody investigating uh, somebody who's involved in artificial intelligence, and um, she she has a. I can't remember where her, her studio is, but it's probably connected to a university. They make cute little robots and they're experimenting on how humans interact with, with these robots and what robots are, um, uh, generate the R factor in humans and uh, this kind of thing. And this experiment was about uh, the destructive relationship between humans uh, and robots. And they just got a, a random variety of people to come in and they basically said and they were a whole load of tools, uh, destruction implements on the table there. And they basically said, who wants to break a robot? And nobody stepped forward 
to pick up a tool and to destroy a robot. Absolutely none none of the people. And they were surprised by that. They thought that they'd get 50 of them, 50% of them might want to and 50% might not. But it was across the board, not a single person stepped forward. So they had a little bit of think about it. So, okay, how can we... Um, how can we move this forward so that we we get a result? So say, okay, I know what. We'll divide the people into groups of two, um, and we'll give some one robot a couple of robots, and some another couple of robots, and say, right, the the goal is you need to destroy the other team's robots. And they still didn't do anything. Uh, there was there was still no destruction. So we need to get somebody destroying a robot. So. What we're going to do? Oh, I said, all right then. Okay, they got all the robots that they got out, and they put them all on the tables. Then they said, right, unless somebody comes along and destroys this one robot that they put on the side, we're going to destroy in front of you all, all of the other robots. And it was when they got to that that one person reluctantly came forward, picked up a hammer, and and proceeded to destroy the robot. And even while that was going on, some of the people in the room still turned their back away so that they didn't witness the destruction of the robot. Mm. And why wouldn't I not get that why they wouldn't do it? Why would I, I don't get it either. It's funny, I discussed this with my daughter. She she's fourteen. Uh so so a teenager and clearly ready to rebel. And she said, Oh, I wish I was there. I'd have picked up a hammer and destroyed one now. Yeah. That's yeah. my girl. <laughs> because I'm fairly well, it sure seems strange to me. Yeah, I don't especially if they knew they they were doing a um you know, I don't know. I don't know what they knew and what they knew about what they were being asked to do. And yeah, and, I'd like to know about what they were told as well. But it was really yeah. fascinating listening to us, you know, with the knowledge of that other experiment where people were quite happily doing yeah. what they were told, knowing they were, were potentially destroying someone's life. But yeah. to pick up a hammer and destroy a robot that they could see, they, they couldn't right. do it. Yeah, um, I think the, the Stanley Milligram, uh, I think it's upwards of 80-something percent of people would go all the way to the um, to the XXX, the highest. Um, and it's because the psychology is it's this person says they will take responsibility and they look like an authority. And and that's the part of the, the psychology where it's manipulative. The, there are people that will question it, but they will be like, well, I, this person seems to know and they're going to take the responsibility, which is, so that's, that's what happened in, with Nazi Germany is that most of the people that participated um, were, were in that category. They weren't the ones actually knowing. It's like you go back to the fish or the bird, whether it really knows that it's stealing or not, you know, um, in that case, I think they don't, they psychologically, they don't actually think they're doing anything wrong because they're just following instructions and they're being asked to put to let the other person take the responsibility for it you know this all reminds me of the trolley car uh, yep. experiment yeah. so you guys have you guys are both familiar with the top trolley yes, car yeah. experiment mm -hmm. for listeners who are not there's a, a an idea that you uh that you are driving a trolley and uh, you're the you're the uh, the engineer and you have control over this trolley and the trolley is approaching a, a split in the tracks and there's a, a lever in the trolley that you control. And at the end of the tracks, there are, uh, uh, at the end of one end of the track, there are four people. And at the end of, of the other side of the tracks, there's one person. And if you don't pull the switch, four people will die. And if you pull the switch, only one person will die. And, and what would you do? And, uh, so that's a, that's an interesting experiment. There are a lot of ways to recarve that experiment to make the uh, to make the experiment increasingly difficult. 
on the on the listener here's uh, on the uh, on the participant here's another one so you're standing on top of a balcony and you you see the same accident about to happen but you're not in the trolley this time the only control you have is uh, you're on a balcony and there's a really big person next to you right and and if you push this one person off the balcony in front of the trolley the four people at the end of the track will not die. But if you don't actively push this person off in front of the trolley, they will. And, and remarkably, uh, some people will pull the switch in, inside, the, inside the trolley, you know, if they're conducting, if they're- Actually, if they're, most, they're, most, they're, most people, most right. people pull the switch. Right, but a smaller percentage will, will be willing to say that they would actively push a live person off even yeah. though the outcome is no different. Almost it, none will on the ladder. Right. That's foot, the footbridge. And th almost none will. And they, find, they found that the only ones that do or the ones that do are the ones that have, um, what is that called? The, there's a part of the brain that if it's, there's a problem with it, you have the inability to, to uh, I, there's, an, there's an issue with proximity and you mm -hmm. having to actually actively kill someone as opposed to, Pulling a switch seems more passive, and you right. don't have to. You're not involved. It is involved in it. Yeah. So that's yeah, very interesting. You're right. Yeah. For an incredibly, for an incredibly deep exposition of the of the trolley car experiment, uh, uh, Apple has a, a product called iTunes University. Uh, it's available to anyone uh, with a device that can get online. Um, so go to iTunes University and search for justice, J-U-S-T-I-C-E. It is, uh, it is uh, a college course put out by Harvard University. And in the first lecture of the series, they talk about this trolley car experiment in, in, in great detail. And they're ju not just the, the, couple of, uh, the couple of setups that we've discussed here, but it's a, it's a deep look sort of into our own psyches, right? About, about what we consider ethical and, mm -hmm. And whether, whether our ethics are as good as we think they are, because things like proximity, even in our own minds, substantially changes the outcome for our actions, even when the results would be identical. Mm. Yeah, and like, I would recommend a, a book on that, too. It's called Moral Tribes by Joshua Green. Anyway, that's yeah. also a good read. Well, I think so, it's fascinating from all this is it's becoming clear that the the behavior the behaviors that we demonstrate in in situations where there is a uh, from you know, from an observer there is a a moral action and a not moral action. Um, the same individuals in, in that situation can behave differently under different pressures. Mm. Now. Th that's that to me probably indicates relativism uh i don't know how that answer and that probably then must also then demonstrate subjectivity because it's subject to the uh, the context of the situation so in, in my mind that's a really good denial of uh, ob objective values regardless of the source of what objective values are 
Now, I would disagree because we're just looking at the behaviors and the outcomes. Um, it doesn't say anything about whether it's right or wrong or good or bad. We're just saying that different humans will do different things, which it's, it's because um, we have these two different mechanisms of how we reason or think, how we make decisions. One is they call the slow uh, or, or uh, the uh, cold um, or uh, for another scenario where it's uh, or uh, analogy where it's uh, manual mode, and then you have automatic uh, hot or uh, um, fast mode, uh, and so the, the, those are the two things that are going on. Now it doesn't say anything about the rightness or the wrongness of the of the act in those scenarios. It just says that humans um, choose to act differently, um, and that doesn't mean it's relative. It just means that we're uh, we may not be using our rational part. We might be just using our um, our sort of non-rational intuition, which is is not very reliable. Which is, I think, an argument for why we want to have some sort of objective standard uh, that we can all agree to that it's right or wrong, um, because we 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 would leave it in a situation where it would be. 50-50, yeah, well, it's just that's what they did. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, and we could extend that to, to murder and stealing and all that kind of thing. And that's I think that's the problem. Uh, and I think that's the, the drive for why we want to come up with something uh, that is a little more solid. And I think that's what probably the author meant by uh, extreme relativism. Uh, is that the word he used? Extreme yes. moral. That was the extreme relativism. That was his phrase. I think there. that's what we're kind of getting to the nub of here is that it's a little fuzzier, which maybe go back to the beginning where we talked about math. Um, I think there are some um, some uh, reasons why we we should have some sort of objectivism, uh, but but it's not the same category or the same type as as a proof uh, proofs in maths. You know, for example, I, I don't think the acting different means that that both acts are right just because situation are different and the people do it differently i think we can still we can still come and evaluate it and say no no actually this is probably the right one and that's and and that's where really the rubber meets the road is how, how do we do that and i think i think that's the difficulty with the whole thing and we just throw our hands up and say well i guess it's relative i i, I don't think that's the right way to go okay okay my challenge to that would be um you're saying from from your perspective or the argument that you're saying is true for the observer the independent observer of the instant because they're removed from from the the context and the 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 things that have changed so they're they're observing it under the same conditions constantly so they always get to the same result of right or wrong but the person in the situation then they respond differently relative to to the scenario and you could argue that what they do is right for them in that situation. So I don't you've, know. Got, you've got two different really... people having a different answer for what's the right action. I don't think you could. I don't think you could say it just because you did it. Um, I, I, that's where I was talking about that, that in the case where we just uh, use our, our hot uh, system, where we just intuit, um, the, the, the whole goal of ethics is to um, engage our rational side, right? Is to look at it dispassionately and say, okay, what is right and what is wrong? 
and not just be like, well, that person felt like that was the right thing to do and it must have been right. And I, I would argue that that's not the case. That just because we we decided that that was the right, um, it it doesn't make it right. Um, and so we go back to with the with whole these 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 scenarios, these footbridge problem and the and the uh, um, the trolley problem is we're talking about this, the contradiction or the tension between objectivism and uh, utilitarianism. You're doing calculus in your head when you look at the lever on the on the uh, trolley problem because you're going well. Obviously, um, if I if if I can save three lives or four lives um, and, and just have one die, I'll do it. You know, as soon as you stick your participation in it, where you have to push the person, then that puts you more active, and then you have to do a little more um, hot system where it's like that feels wrong, you know. And, so, but it's the, same, it's the same actual scenario, right? It's you're still doing the same thing. But I'm worried about how this was glossed a little bit. Um, so maybe this is an unjust criticism, Doug. Tell me, tell me if I've, I've missed sure. both. But sure. while, you're, while you were talking, um, I, I had this sort of, of cringing feeling. Mm -hmm. uh, because when you were talking about objective truth, mm -hmm. you described that at least for me, I, I don't know that I'm right. I mean, in, in some sense, this is hot wash, right? Because I didn't get to listen to it twice or whatever to, to really uncover mm -hmm. your meaning. But in some sense, when you were talking about um, an objective truth, it, it was a very clinical parsing of, of the right action, right? Mm -hmm. And then when you started discussing subjectivity, you started using the word feeling more. We, we feel like it's right or we feel like it's wrong. Yeah. But as a, as a subjective as a person who has by and large accepted subjective ethics most of his life, I was no less clinical about my subjective views than a person who might hold to uh, some sort of objective truth, like a, like a Christian, for instance. In fact, I think it's fair to say that as a, sub, as a subjectivist, I spent more time in, in a clinical investigation yeah. of my actions, then, um, sorry for the Christians who are listening, then the Christians who get their ethics uh, uh, hard-coded in a book. Yeah. And, and so I was a little concerned that, at least as you were describing the, uh, some, some kinds of, and I, I wasn't taking it personally, but when you were describing the subjective ethics that you were talking about, I didn't read myself in that description. That's because you're an objectivist. <laughs> no, <laughs> that was that was that was so well played that you've got to be a Mac user. <laughs> <laughs> no, no way a Windows person came up with that. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh man, I can't believe I didn't see that coming. Because <laughs> you're a Windows user, right? Great <laughs> minds think alike. <laughs> so, uh, no, seriously, no, am I no. am I wrong about did did I parse that wrongly? Well, I would say that um, how would I put this? Um, I would say that when we are able to dispassionately analyze it from the outside, and this is, I think, this. This is the difficulty is that when we do these studies and research and we kind of allow our hot, fast, uh, automatic mode to, mm. to decide, which is, I mean, that's this whole research with the brain and the, you know, Blink is one of the books that, where we are realizing that more and more of our decisions are 
just intuiting. They're automatic. They're not rational. And so we've evolved these things to, to act in, in accordance with a way that is beneficial for our flourishing or for our survival, which is what I would say. So in that case, these scenarios of the trolley problem, they just create this scenario where it's a conundrum where we're like, oh, wait, I, you know, it's not a scenario we often find ourselves in. And it's that rub again between the objectivism and the utilitarianism that we uh, as social creatures have drive to preserve our own uh save our own hide as well as the drive to save the tribe so i would say that really that's what we're kind of pressing at here is is i don't think you um being a subjectivist would mean that you can't or you wouldn't make the same analyses or like like you said even mm. more mm. of a, a, an analysis than a christian would who would just throw his hands up and say god did it god said it that makes it that true settled it yep yeah it settles it you know um so um i, th I think the the issue is, is is um how do we how do we make the evaluation such that it takes me out of the 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 problem it doesn't depend on what I mm. decide it, mm. it, it just is um, and it and so I I think that's maybe what we're all trying to do because um, even even to go back to the fish and the bird um, where I think I would argue that we're actually putting our own structures on them and evaluating it making evaluations based on what we understand and accept uh, intuitively for ourselves um, which I don't think is, is maybe fair to do for that. And I, I think that's why maybe the expression of extreme relativism and absolutism or moral absolutism are, are used because they're a little bit more, it's almost like it's a sliding scale. And, and, and maybe uh, I would not call myself a, an extreme um, or a moral absolutist, um, but nor would I call myself an extreme relativist <laughs> somewhere in between <laughs> so Matthew, yeah, i somewhere... would identify the same um, yeah. but i think if i could just jump in on the absolutism thing i think i know where he i yeah i think i have a better idea of where he might be going with the absolutism and i think the absolutism is 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 where you take the kind of situation that action x is always and forever right. either right or either wrong so let's pick an easy victim here slavery yeah always i wrong. thought you were going to say mac users well yeah i i wasn't thinking well enough there i was thinking too seriously my i apologize listeners i i should have dropped to to andrew's level there um, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> you see that that, that evaluation oh. evaluative uh, <laughs> wow yeah so okay matthew you shallowly wound me <laughs> is that right or wrong i'm not sure <laughs> um, okay sorry sorry but, that's a, but absolutism is, is the kind of thing that allows us to say slavery is always wrong in every circumstance and i'm pretty sure that all three of us can get on board with that yeah. yep. but it also is, is 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 also a situation that gives us abortion is always wrong in every situation and oh, I don't think I don't think either of us would say that. 
No, I would not. Yeah, and that, and I think that's the problem is not all moral uh, dilemmas are created equal. <laughs> right, because it may be the same kind of false dichotomy as saying, well, we can put a man on the moon, but so why can't we cure cancer? Because they may not be fundamentally the same problem, mm. right? Uh, and and we make that sort of false comparison all the time. You know, we uh, in fact cancer. Uh, uh, families with, with cancer victims and survivors in them. Um, sorry if, if cancer victim is the wrong, uh, sufferers of cancer or however that should be lost. Mm-hmm. You know, people ask that question all the time. We can, we can put men on the moon. We can have a global network that people can share. Uh, we can, uh, you know, we can feed the world. Why can't we cure cancer? Well, the answer is they're not the same kind of problem. And it may, it may well be that the, that enslaving someone is wrong for a different reason than abortion could be right. So here's one of the possible um, here's one of the possible reasons that abortion could be right using exactly those two tokens. So uh, slavery and abortion. If you were a mother in slavery and you knew that you were going to have a child who by right of birth also belonged to the slave owner, would you have the right not to have that child in order to keep them from a life of punishment and servitude? And so it may be that, that they're not the right kinds of comparisons. If, if you, they're, they're not equally comparable. Mm. That's an interesting twist. <laughs> well, yeah, so uh, your mileage may vary. But it yeah. would be the question I would ask myself. Well, and that, and that, that's what makes, I think, maybe we're trying to flatten the whole thing out and make all moral dilemmas equal when they, th- there are some, like the, there are, like the quote that I read, there are some things that we just, everyone agrees on, you know. Matthew, what do you think about that analysis? It was your question. Did I go wrong? No, no. I I, I, I was with you, surprisingly. We might be on different operating systems, but we're getting the same results. Oh, hey, hey, we're we're actually able to play Halo on the PC and whatever the hell platform. Halo, sorry. Xbox, right? Is, 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 did I get that? I don't. I don't know if I got that right. Sorry. Um, um, it is available on the Xbox, but I don't have it. Oh well, now I, I don't either. Too bad, and I don't have a great comeback for it either. Like, <laughs> but Doug, what did you think? I mean, are they comparable? Is 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 it right to compare uh, um, objections to slavery to objections to abortion? It's an interesting twist. Um, I would would say that that um, you know the the mother in that case is making an evaluation, uh, really not having all the data. Um, and this is the mm. argument. This mm. is you know this is the problem is is making a decision. It, so like th- this goes back to the whole abortion issue, right? Is is you know is it um, whose right is it? Whose autonomy is it? Um, She's making an evaluation and actually deciding not to terminate her pregnancy uh, or, uh, as some would say, kill the baby uh, in order to uh, preserve it from suffering. Uh, And so 
Um, I would say that this is one of those scenarios that is not so clear cut. Uh, and that I would say that, that maybe um, we can't, uh, with any certainty, uh, decide uh, through reason alone or even intuition whether it's right or wrong. So I would put, I would say that not all moral dilemmas are, are of the same uh, category. I would say that this one is one of those where at the point the mother would have made the decision, she was using the best data she had in making the decision on that basis. And, and maybe this goes back to maybe, maybe I am a relativist or uh, because um, it, it, given that situation, I, I don't know that you could say it was right or wrong, but she felt it was right, and she did that. And Can I make it harder? Uh, you've got the self-interest with the interest of others, right? right. Um, um, and so she's not just doing it, for example, in that case, for selfish reasons. It's not just uh, I want to use it as a form of, uh, of birth control, you know, because I don't feel like having this child. It's, uh, I, you know... It's like the father, there's a, there's a scenario where their father actually uh, killed his daughter because she was in pain, and he, he was naked. That's another one where um, she was in extreme pain, and he just wanted, the doctor wanted to keep her alive because life in and of itself is seen to have value, whether or not uh, the quality is, is something that, that uh, we could live with. And okay, so let me make it harder. She asked, him, she asked him to kill her, you know, and he did. Right. And he went to prison for it. Right. So, so let me make the question harder because I, I think there's, there's something pretty good here. Uh, so l let's make the question of the mother in slavery aborting her child to allow the child. Uh, so, so the child will avoid a life of, of uh, servitude. Yeah. So we'll add one piece of knowledge to the mother. She has some magic foreknowledge. It's the, this is the sort of Christian uh, Molinistic defeater, yeah, right? Sure. I like it. Yeah, so, so we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna play the Molinistic defeater game. No, um, so now the mother has one uh, more piece. Uh, sorry, sorry. Oh. Me. <laughs> I think that was the blue screen of death. Yeah. <laughs> well, I forgot about that. It's been so long since I've seen one. Yeah. Uh, um, so here's the, here's the Molinistic question. So magically the mother has the piece of knowledge that says the child, if born, would say in the future, even after a life of, of slavery and punishment and indenturedness and, 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 and potentially hopelessness, you know, the, the child would still say, I would rather live. Would the mother have the right to abort the child anyway. Ooh. I told you it was harder. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Matthew, what do you think? Yes. Yeah. No, I know that's a, no, I think mine. <laughs> it's I no, I I don't think no, my my answer won't change. I think she's still she's still within her rights to to abort given that it's it's her decision at, at that time. I, I wouldn't change my mind that is exactly my position too even though even though i find it to be somewhat like the trolley car experiment yeah you know but the reason why the reason why i'm, I'm not changing my mind is 
because I don't find hypothetical future scenarios particularly useful or meaningful in, in this kind of thing. Uh, I, I, mm, I, mm. I actually, quite bluntly, don't think they they help move the conversation very well when talking about a hypothetical future, which which is impossible. You know, can we talk about a hypothetical that's realistic, please? I think well, he just called me a Mac user. I'm I think I do have a variation on this, but it's actually closer to the trolley car problem. Um, and and I think it was the the program Mash that that actually featured this. Um, if oh. if I'm wrong, somebody uh, tell me. I, I never really watched lots of it, but I watched a few of it. And I think this was in their last ever episode, or or building up to their climax. And it was a situation of a mother with a baby, um, and possibly with one or two other individuals hiding from some soldiers who most surely would have captured, probably tortured, possibly killed them if they'd found them. And the baby was um, disturbed or getting disturbed, so would have made a noise to give their situation away. So the mother, so the mother suffocated the baby so that it wouldn't make a noise to save their lives. But the baby died. Man, that is pushing the guy. That is that is pushing the guy off the balcony or the or the, or the crosswalk. It, wow. wow, it is. But it, it's going further than that. It's pushing the guy off the crosswalk, off the balcony, to save yourself and others. It's, and, and but this time you're related to the fat guy, right? And and you know, I I just have to say in my. Uh, moral subjectivist uh, robes, you know, with, with with my moral subjectivist robes on, I think she was right. Um, but boy, that's a, that's. I, I would never. Yes, I would never prosecute somebody in that situation. I would offer them a hug, but okay. I would never prosecute them. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I would. From the go, to go back to the last um, scenario that you gave, I, I would say that. Um, I would argue, even if she had that knowledge, that that it was within her right—not just it was right—we know now from science that that if, um, from so using a scientific method that that people have an amazing capacity to convince themselves that they are happy, even though um, they, given given otherwise, given given the ability mm. to not be enslaved, um, they would be happier. Um, it's we have a strong ability to adapt our experiential um, uh, happiness um, to our scenario. So whether it be good or bad, the treadmill, I guess, uh, in both the negative and positive ways. And so I would argue that even if that that she had that foreknowledge and they said I would want to live, that would be based on what we know of well. It, the life is hypothetical at the point. Uh, I mean, it's it's whether it's a, we want to call it a human or a zygote or or an, uh, a fetus or whatever. Um, parasite. Yeah, parasites. Uh, yeah, you can use that one. Um, the the uh, um, its potential. Uh, it doesn't have the potential, for example, to to suffer uh, in the same way that uh, if you could ask an adult. Would you would prefer to have been dead or alive? Well, they're alive at the point uh, that you ask that question. So 
obviously they're going to say I'd rather be alive, right? Okay, so I think you've carved the example uh, and, and maybe think of it in, in, in another way. It's sort, of, it's sort of changed the direction of this thing because it is reasonable to say something like this. Yes, you might ask the, you might ask the son at some point in the future, even after a life of, of slavery and, and servitude, uh, would you prefer to live? And, and he might say yes, right? But any answer is always only a moment in time. Yeah. Right. And, and so it would be possible. Uh, maybe maybe he just had a, a particularly good day. Right. It, it was a uh, it was a day when the when the crops came in. OK. And the, the sun was not particularly odious. And, uh, you know, so so there was there was reason for hope. And, and he said, yes, whereas whereas the next the next week or the week before. Uh, he suffered fractured ribs as a result of a beating or, or whatever, you know, whatever changed his mind to, to have a different answer. And so Matthew is, Matthew is probably right. Asking that hypothetical is somewhat out of place when the decision is made long before that. Right. I think the way to make it more interesting would be to invoke the Terminator test. Somebody from the future <laughs> comes and says, your child will cure cancer, be the first person on Mars or something like that. Don't terminate your child. You know, that might make the, 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 um, the, the mother in slavery uh, uh, question a, a little bit more in interesting. And mm. I think I might engage, I think I might have more fun engaging with that. And, and, yeah. and, I mean, and asking myself the question in that context makes me pause a little bit longer. And I, I'm struggling now to think how I'd answer it uh, if it was phrased that way. Okay, so I that's might, interesting. I think, I think I might be inclined to say yes, no, um, uh, yes, as in let the child live, because we can already see that there's a, a bright future and someone's come back and affirmed that. Suppose it's a great grandchild, though, and in the in the first, so to get to the great grandchild, in in the first generation, the daughter is actually. Uh, a result of of a rape, right? And in the and in the next generation, so this is the great grandchild. So in the grandchild generation, the uh, the child is a result of uh, incest. So so to get to the to the uh, to the great grandchild, you have a result of of rape and a result of incest. And and so you're you're quite far down the road. But but would the original mother, the mother in the first generation, have the right to uh, say yes. So she's told yes. There will be a cure for cancer, uh, but to get there, uh, in two generations, there will be horrible act. Yeah, it would all depend on how bad her situation was and how desperate she felt about her own situation. Subjectivist. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. I'm a Windows user. <laughs> no. So I I think that. Now, if we, if we can take a few more minutes, I want to take a moment and defend objective morality in a, in, a, in a global sense, because right now we're down at the specific level, right? Where we push the guy off the bridge. Right? Yeah. But I think there is an argument for objective moral reality that looks very much like the Christian argument. So this is a nod to some... Fairly good work uh, done by Christian thinkers. Although 
in the end, I find this unconvincing. And here it is. Christians, Christians reason thusly. God is the moral lawgiver. And God is objectively, uh, God is an objective source for moral law. He can only give an objective moral law. And because he is, uh, he has right of place as the objective moral lawgiver, we should follow that objective moral law. Okay. Now, all that it takes to get there is for any single person to agree that God is an objective source for a moral law, right? And, and once you're there, if you agree with that proposition, then, then it's reasonable to think that you ought to follow that law. I think that there is a way. I think that there is a way for humanists to make that exact same kind of argument for an objective moral truth. And it works like this. We only need one agreement. It is the same kind of agreement that the Christian makes uh, about God being an objective moral source. That agreement is to see human thriving as the, the best possible outcome. We only need that one agreement in order to say that human thriving is what we should strive for and bend all of our societies and all of our thoughts toward maximizing the best of the human condition. So, uh, let me throw a monkey wrench in there. Why limit it to humans? Please. We shouldn't. We should uh, extend it to other species. Um, okay. So, wow. So I don't have a good argument for not being, uh, for not including other species. I'm not a species. Well, yes, I am. If I had to choose between a family member and a family pet, right or wrong, I would choose the family member. Well, <laughs> with some possible limited exceptions. <laughs> <laughs> But all of the, you know, for uh, it's at least true for all of my family who are Mac users. <laughs> well, see, mine, mine depends on whether my, my child was a teenager or, or a little baby or. <laughs> but cute so, big head, I wouldn't, you know, but when they got to be a teenager, man. <laughs> so that is my best defense of of getting to an objective ethic. I, I think that, uh, you know, because I don't, I don't think that we will ever reach a place where we are, whether there's an objective moral truth out there in the universe, right? And, and I'm not saying that there's not. But if there is, I don't think we are ever going to get to a place where we all agree that there's an objective moral source. And but that wouldn't that wouldn't change what whether there was or not. Like even if we That's can never right. get to there, it doesn't mean that it that, that there isn't some objective sure. truth. It doesn't mean there uh, is either. Right. Agreement so, doesn't have anything to do with it. Yeah, that that's absolutely true. Um, I agree. They're they're <laughs> and, <Good one. laughs> and so so there may, for instance, uh, although I think there's good reason to think there's not. There, there may, for instance, be uh, a highest possible prime number. 
at, 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 at point after which uh, all of our math breaks down, right? Because there's, there's no prime. As far as we know, that's not the case. And there's good reason to think that it's not the case. But, they, you know, so it's possible to think that there is an objective source out there. And whether I believe that there is one or not, it wouldn't change the, wouldn't change the fact that that objective source was in fact an objective source, but it may be that the source is so complex or, uh, or opaque or uh, that it takes such a long time to understand that I can't use it in my human lifetime. And in fact, that seems to be the case for, for human ethics, right? We study them for a lifetime and, yeah. and for thousands of millions, billions even of lifetimes. And yeah. We're not a lot closer, as far as I can. You guys may see that differently, but I, th I think we're getting closer. Um, I think with all the research we're doing with the uh, um, children and with uh, uh, primates, for example, primatology, I think we're getting close to um, closer. Um, uh, and I'm not, I'm not arguing for an absolutism, um, but I'm arguing for. Uh, something better than it's right because I feel or I said it's right. So, yeah. Matthew, what do you think? Are we closer? I don't know. Um, I, I don't see any way. I just, I just don't accept any kind of um, external objective moral value giver. I, I just don't see how that could even be achievable. In, in terms of our other, I think we're getting a, a pretty good handle on on what drives our moral values, but I think it's it's going to be a complex web. It's not going to be like a moral gene or something like that, you know, like this whole mythical gay gene, you know, it's, it's, no, it's a little bit, it's more complicated than that. We know it's more complicated than that. And I think it's going to become clear that it's highly nuanced. Yeah. And, but I yeah. think it's be our ability to recognize behaviors and patterns and project unseen consequences uh, is tied into that you know we don't have to know that someone's going to be we don't have to see somebody being upset by something being stolen from them we can we can project that that is what their reaction is going to be uh, and so uh, i think that kind of uh, complex processing is is going to be involved in that and i don't see how uh, sorry let me rephrase that i my state of knowledge on the situation can't explain how we we can process that kind of complexity, but clearly we can. Mm -hmm. Doug, but, if we could, if we could, if if we could demonstrate sufficiently that that some subjective moral framework was as as demonstrably the outcome is demonstra is demonstrably as good as the outcome of some objective framework. Uh, would you still think that an objective framework was needed? Or would you be willing to accept that subjectivity did its job? So uh, if, if the outcomes were identical, would you accept that subjectivity was as good a solution? Or would you still I, say we've got to keep looking? No, so I, I, just in this conversation, I would say that even in your position and you're talking that there is a certain object objectiveness in things that you do talk about that you're certain more certain there's a hierarchy is what I'd say mm -hmm. 
and and that that I don't think subjectivism drives what you're saying. I think I would say it that way. Maybe that that it's not um, because you're not saying it's just whatever everybody feels is right. That's right. You're not saying that. And so that I would say maybe that's the extreme relativism of when it's just, you know, whatever everybody votes. And if it's 51 percent, this is the problem with democracy is, you know, I think it was uh, um, Churchill, Churchill, yeah, is that mean? Churchill yeah. said that the that, that, uh, democracy is the, the best of the of the worst. <laughs> Something yeah, like that. Um, he said that uh, democracy may not be the best form of government, but it is the best form of government currently. Right. Currently yeah. available. Yeah. Like that. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's, I think that's echoing, you know, what what we're getting at, and I think that's goes back to the rub between um, objectivism and utilitarianism. That those two intuitions that we've got uh, society built of a bunch of individuals, and sometimes it doesn't work quite right. And there's a there's a conflict, and the individual chooses their own self interest over that of the good of the many. And uh, that's, uh, that's where these, these problems become complicated when it's not so cut and dried of that person just went out and, you know, stole what they wanted or killed who they wanted just because they felt like it. And um, I think that's, that it's, that it, that's where it becomes complicated when we have those scenarios that, that those two rub up against each other. So I'm still confused, maybe, because it sounds like you're saying that a subjective ethical framework can't have as part of its value uh, working out a uh, high degree of concurrence. It so, sounds like you're saying that in a subjective moral environment, uh, it's, it's every man for himself and, and it's, only, uh, it, it's only driven by the person's internal instinct. Uh, or, or by egotism, right? By, by totally selfish motivation. Am I missing something? Am I wrong about that? That's well. That is maybe what I call extreme uh, relativism, <laughs> where oh, um, you know, gotcha. and, and it's just by democracy and the, you know, either the strongest or the most make make what's right. And I, I don't think either of you are saying that, but I think that is popularly what we would you know, say. Maybe um, it's relativistic. Um, yeah, that's a, that's interesting because I, I do see the problem there. Um, yeah, a, a little bit. And I, I don't like think you, either of you are saying that. No, I'm not saying that. No, me either. Um, although I think it does uncover. Uh, yeah, I, I think that I think that you're sort of right to point out that moral subjectivism has as one of its consequences the knock-on effect that uh, might can make right. Or, or at least, or at least, that the individual in the position of might can see themselves as being ethically or morally uh, correct, right? It's it's sort of the divine right to rule, right? The divine right of kings, and and so I think that that is potentially, uh, you know, a, a consequence of subjectivism. Matthew, what do you think? Um, I don't know. I'm I'm trying to just bring together where I where I sit on this I'm still I'm still a subjectivist but um, I think the truth is that it's it's a combination I'm I'm a I'm a blur you know I'm not red or blue I'm a, a shade of purple <laughs> you know it's 
<laughs> Me too. Yeah, um, I'm. I, I think I'm more subjectivist than I am uh, objective, but I'm. I, I, I'm. I, I'm trying. I'm just trying to work out what form of uh, objectivity I accept. It's obviously not the, the Christian definition of objectivity. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm just. I'm just trying to think what definition is the definition I. I. I most. I, I can identify with, and I'm, I'm struggling to come up up with a version. Sorry, were you going to jump in with a description? Oh, I was just going to say that I don't think any of us are are, are doing, thankfully, doing that. Um, we're on the same um, side of the argument, um, but but I would add that that you know you could come up with a scenario, for example, where. Um, and this is a utilitarian one where you've got 90% of the population says we'll, we'll all be happier and flourishing more if we enslave 10% of the population. And that would be mm. a form of relativism, right? Uh, it said, well, you know, in that scenario, we've calculated and this is, this is going to make more people happy so we can enslave. And I think this is why really I will, you know, I don't know if we're wrapping up here where I would end on uh, John Rawls' veil of ignorance. You know, and that kind of what we've been touching on. Um, if you're familiar with the veil of ignorance, are you are you both familiar with that? Yes, th thanks to you, I, I am. Okay, Matthew, are you familiar with that? I I might need reminding. I know I've heard it before, but uh, it wouldn't hurt to just be reminded so that I I can check my memory cells. Sure. So so um, the scenario is, is you um, you've got a population in that scenario, for example, and you don't know which you'll be. You don't okay, know which yeah. you'll be on. Which would you decide? And and every person who's being honest will say, well, that's obviously wrong because you don't want to be that slave. And yes. that goes back to this whole thing of we're able to intuit and to look and see, oh, that individual has the same kind of desires uh, and same kind of needs that I do. And I don't want somebody to do that to me. I don't want to be that person. So I can evaluate in, in, in that situation and say, yeah, that's wrong. Um, I don't think that's right. No matter what percentage of the population you'd have to enslave, it's it's wrong. And and, and I think that's what I would mm. call objective. It's not the same objective that a Christian would say. It's out there and somebody's you know imposing it. It's objective because it, it doesn't depend on me. Um, yeah, I can. Yeah, I can absolutely accept that as a form of uh, objectivity. And yeah, I will, I will agree that there are some situations where that that description of uh, objectivity applies. I think that's the closest we can get is that sort of, you know, scenario of the veil of ignorance. Um, I say that and I haven't read the book yet. Uh, there are several, lots of books I need to read. So I just have little inklings uh, and I need to do a lot more research. I'm definitely not, um, uh, not, not got it figured out and haven't settled. <laughs> Which is what makes these this, these discussions all the more interesting. So, Indeed. Doug, you put together a lot of notes. Yep. Have we covered the thing? Have we? <laughs> Not a one. No. About tw about twenty, maybe fifteen percent of it. <laughs> okay. We need to put. We need to find somewhere to blog post this. I could put this up on my blog when I publish the the um. The episode eventually. I'll do. Uh, that's that, a, that's maybe, a good idea. But, yeah, it's a lot of notes, but it was a lot of 
I wanted to talk about the philosophy. I want to talk about uh, Aristotle uh, and uh, Hume's law is ought problem. Uh, uh, the philosophical okay. error by Spinoza. There was a ton that we didn't even get into really much of the philosophy of it. Um, but that, that I think this what we talked about was much more important. I still want to talk about the is ought problem. I'm fascinated by it. Absolutely fascinated by it. I think you can resolve it. I think there's a way to resolve it. I think so too, actually. I think you can get a news from an ought. Yeah. Let's I, just leave I, that dangling and we'll t yeah. tackle it another time. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a, okay. So as a, as a technical, I, are, Matthew, are we closing down now? Is that the yeah, let, let's, let's move into the, to the wind up. It's uh, quarter past 10 for me. So, and I've got a working day tomorrow. So. Oh, right. Okay. So my closing thought then, uh, and, and then there's one technical note as we go to, as we go to a close. Um, so I'll need one second. In a few seconds there. Uh, but, but my closing thought here is, by and large, what it has been in the past. Whether there is an objective source of moral truth out there, there may well be. Uh, but if there is, that moral truth, I don't think, can be a, a uh, prescripted moral truth where you just write the thing down in a book, right, and, and uh, call it a commandment. Because the way we understand objectivity is fundamentally different. And so to tie this to the beginning of the show, we talked about uh, how to understand math in, in terms of axioms and, uh, and, uh, and proofs and, and uh, that kind of thing, right? And the way we get those is not by commanding that they're axioms or their or their proofs or you know we get them out of experimentation, out of observation, out of discovering those things that work, the underpinnings of mathematics that make it uh, come up with conclusions that are useful in the real world, right? And I am willing to accept an ethical objectivity. If that ethical objectivity can be deconstructed and its axioms and proofs can be understood in the same way, we can multiply it, we can divide it, add it, subtract it. And then at the end of the day, we can measure to determine whether the outcomes were in fact the outcomes that we wanted and expected. And I think we can do that. I think it's just a lot of work a lot of energy, and it's just easier to uh, be tribal and uh, be blue or red. And I think Roll Tide. I think that's oh. why I do it. What's that? Roll. Nice. <laughs> 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 oh, sorry. Go Mac. Oh. <laughs> uh, but I think that's why we're we're very. Uh, um, uh, what's the term I'm looking for? Um, Binary. Uh, yeah, we're binary, but we're uh, we're very efficient, and uh, that's why we have all these heuristics and religion and whatnot. It's because it's just way more efficient to just kill people who aren't like us. <laughs> yeah, off, uh, sadly, that that's proven really effective, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm on the same page as you two, and I think the um, the source of our ethics and our moral values is is clearly 
within ourselves but there's clearly a complexity in that in that we've evolved as a social species so we recognize cues from each other and that makes it more complex i think it's quite clear that our values aren't projected onto us from from an external source and that those who want to suggest otherwise i think really need to give up that fight because it is that kind of in, insistent that gives us some of the the poor moral choices that we uh, see on a, on a wide wider level and i think we need to embrace the the liquidity uh, of of some of these these values for for a better society i don't think it makes society worse uh, that way it makes it interesting um I'll, I'll just on a final note as well before i hand over back over to andrew to to close up i want to recommend alex o'connor the cosmic skeptics podcast uh, and mm-hmm. he he did this this very subject with rationality rules i think it's the latest episode on his uh cosmic skeptic podcast i'd like to recommend that podcast there are many other podcasts that have uh examined this subject uh but that one i specifically want to to recommend when you list finished off with this if you haven't listened to the cosmic skeptics podcast go and do that one as well please just do it you'll thank me Okay, so I called this a technical note. It's, it's uh, by the way, yes, listen to, cos- uh, to the Cosmic Skeptic, absolutely. I called this a technical note. It, it's not so much a, a technical note as a, uh, as a get in touch or, or sort of programming note. If you're listening to this podcast, first of all, thank you for giving us your time on a regular basis to listen to this. And we are regularly working on ways to make it easier for you to get in touch with us. Thanks to our podcast aggregator, we now have a way to do that. An easy way to get in touch with us is to just send us a voice message. So in today's show notes, if you're if you're using the Apple Podcast app or Overcast, you know how to get uh, to your notes, touch on the episode and scroll down, right? You can read the show notes. In those show notes from now on, there will be a link and you can just touch the link in your podcast app. It'll open up a browser on the platform that you're on, whether you're listening on a on a PC or a Mac or an Android or an iPhone, just touch the link and leave us a voice response. If you want to ask a question or uh, you know tell us how much you like the show or or tell us uh, how much you hate Windows or you know whatever. It is. <laughs> <I'm> sorry, <laughs> what, what is whatever you find. Windows rules, yay! <laughs> Well played. <laughs> uh, okay, sorry. Seriously, we want to hear from you. And one of the things that's very important to, to me and Matthew, to Doug, to to all of our guests, Doug is Doug is more than just a guest. Doug uh, co-hosts over uh, on on Still Unbelievable. He joins us here at, at Ask an Atheist Anything. But for for each of us. Whether, whether, whether we're hosting or whether it's a guest, we want to hear from you, and we want to hear the questions that you think are the ones that we left outstanding in the episodes. Yes. Those are things that are very important to us because that helps us gauge how we're reaching out to the community and what's interesting to you. So right now, if you're listening to this episode and you have something that's that's a, a burning question that you think we left open or or a disagreement that that you think is really important touch the link and tell us what you think 
Matthew, that's it right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh. We're going to end with a rhyme. That is such <laughs> a serious Mac crime. <laughs> oh, I knew that was. Oh, I knew that was coming. Touch the link and tell us what you think. I can't believe I used that twice. So, sorry, it's 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 bound to come up over and over. So good. Guys. Um, but we do. We'll want put to it to music you. next time. Oh, I, I, <laughs> so we we absolutely depend on your feedback to understand what you think and to plan our shows in the future. As a listener, you're the most important part of asking atheist anything. We value what you have to say. Touch the link, and thank you for listening to this episode of Ask an Atheist Anything. I'm Andrew. I was Matthew. I'm Doug. Thanks. Cheers all. Thanks and good night.